Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Tuesday, September 22nd, 2015 was shaping up to be one of those perfect fall days in eastern Ontario. The sun was shining on the bright autumn colors, and there was a slight chill in the air, your favorite sweater kind of day. Fall has always been a beautiful time of year for people living in Renfrew County, located in the heart of the Ottawa Valley. Comprised of 17 unique communities, including Deep River, Petawawa, Armprior, and the Laurentian Hills, the rural district stretches west from Ottawa to the northern tip of historic Algonquin Park. With over 900 lakes and vast forested areas, Renfrew County has long been an ideal place for those wanting to escape the hustle and bustle of larger urban areas. But early that September morning, the tranquility of the day was suddenly unraveled into pure chaos. Just after 9 a.m., a frantic call came into the Ontario Provincial Police in the town of Killaloo. Ontario Provincial Police, where's your emergency? He came in the house with a gun! He might just be screaming and, and he's lying on the ground! The woman on the other end of the phone had just witnessed a man enter her sister's home with a gun. The caller managed to escape, but heard a single gunshot as she was fleeing. She was terrified for her sister, who was still in the house. When the police arrived at the location in nearby Wilno, they discovered the body of 36-year-old Anastasia Kuzik. She had been shot once in the neck. The police quickly learned that Anastasia had feared for her safety since having a former boyfriend sent to prison for domestic assault. Anastasia's sister was certain this was the man that she had seen with the gun. But Anastasia wasn't this man's only victim. Another former girlfriend who lived in Renfrew County had also charged him with abuse a few years earlier. With their prime suspect armed and on the run, the police needed to alert this other woman. Heading towards the hamlet of Foymount, OPP officers attempted to contact the man's former girlfriend, but there was no response. Then, within minutes, another 911 call came into the police. The young man on the phone was breathless. He was running from his home and said a man had just shot his mother at the address the police were driving to. When officers arrived at the rural property, it didn't take long to discover they were too late. 48-year-old Natalie Warmadam was lying dead on her kitchen floor. She, too, 
had been shot once in the neck. There was a killer on the loose, and he was obviously targeting the women in his life. The police needed to know who else had been involved with this man so they could warn them. But would they get to the next victim in time? At 11.10 a.m., the OPP received another emergency call. A local real estate agent said she was meeting with a client to discuss selling the woman's cottage on the south shore of Lake Kamasakeg, close to the village of Combermere. When she arrived, she saw broken glass at the front door. She approached a neighbor of her clients, and when they entered the cottage, they found the woman dead on the floor of her bedroom. Sirens echoed off the lake as the police rushed to the small cabin and discovered the body of 66-year-old Carol Culleton. She had been strangled to death. Three women in three different locations in Renfrew County were dead in the span of two hours. And there was only one thing these women had in common. A man whom they had let into their lives and who was now their killer. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true story of one of Canada's worst cases of femicide. In a single revenge-fueled rampage, one man would destroy the lives of three women and their families. This was a man with a long and troubled history of domestic violence, And despite prison time and probation orders, nothing could keep these women safe from his rage. How did this happen? And more importantly, what will prevent it from happening again? This is Terror in Renfrew County. Because it just lies. He came in the house with a woman is killed every six days. It was a morning like no other in the sleepy, rural area of eastern Ontario. Three women had been killed in their homes, and the police quickly learned that two of the women had been victims of domestic violence by the same perpetrator. Soon, a search was underway for the person the police believed was responsible, 57-year-old Basil Barutsky. Basil Joseph Barutsky had grown up in Renfrew County. He was the third of eight children born to Walter and Beatrice, second-generation Polish immigrants. Basil, from a young age, developed a reputation as a bully and often used his fists to get what he wanted. By the age of 19, he was charged with assault causing bodily harm the first of many charges that would follow. Around the county, Barutsky became known as a guy you didn't want to cross. In 1982, Basil met and married Mary Ann Mask. The couple had three daughters during a tumultuous 26-year relationship. Barutsky was charged with domestic violence in 1985 1994, and again in 2008, but 
was never convicted. During divorce proceedings in 2011, Barutsky's ex-wife said she had endured years of abuse and she believed he had been stalking her since their separation. One of the couple's daughters told the judge that she had witnessed her father trying to push her mother out of a moving vehicle and he had been violent towards all of them. Another daughter said Barutsky repeatedly threatened to burn down the family home, which did eventually burn to the ground, though no charges were ever laid. While dealing with his divorce in 2011, Basil Barutsky met Natalie Warmerdam, a palliative care nurse who was caring for his ailing father at a local hospice. Natalie, who was also recently divorced with two children, was charmed by Barutsky. And it wasn't long after meeting that he had moved into her farmhouse. Barutsky convinced Natalie that his ex-wife was lying about him, and she initially believed him. After all, he had never been convicted of domestic violence. But it wasn't long before Basil began showing his darker side. In the summer of 2012, Natalie had Basil arrested and charged after he threatened to strangle her son Adrian and kill the family dog. Basil was finally convicted and sentenced to five months in prison. But after serving less than 30 days in jail, Barutsky was released. He was ordered to serve two years probation and was issued a 10-year weapons ban. With Barutsky out of prison, Natalie was concerned for her and her children's safety. She installed security cameras at her farmhouse, kept a shotgun under her mattress at night, and wore a panic button around her neck in case she spotted her abuser, who had been allowed to return to Renfrew County. In the summer of 2013, Barutsky met Carol Culleton, the recently widowed civil servant with Agriculture Canada wasn't looking for a new partner. But Basil could be charming when he wanted to be. The two began a casual relationship, and Basil would often help Carol at her summer cottage. But by that winter, Basil had met another woman, Anastasia Kuzik, a 36-year-old local real estate agent. Fresh from a recent breakup, Anastasia was vulnerable and easily manipulated by the older Barutsky. Basil moved into Anastasia's home in Wilno within a week of meeting. And while Anastasia was aware of his recent time in prison, Basil, once again, like he had done with Natalie, convinced her he was the victim. These other women and the police were out to get him. Anastasia believed him until she became his next punching bag. On a cold December night in 2013, Barutsky turned on Anastasia and beat her so severely that she later said in court that she didn't recognize her own face. The attack, hitting, punching, choking, kicking, went on for most of the night. Barutsky was arrested and charged with the assault against Anastasia. 
But like many domestic violence victims, Anastasia was terrified to testify against her attacker, fearing for her safety. However, an unlikely friendship had developed between Anastasia and Natalie Warmerdam, and the two women knew they needed to put Borutsky behind bars to save future victims. Borutsky was eventually convicted and sentenced to 17 months in prison. After serving five months in jail, Borutsky was released, despite refusing to sign a court order barring him from contacting his victim, Anastasia Kuzik. Anastasia was not advised that Borutsky had been released from prison. Borutsky was once again put on two years probation, and the 10-year weapons ban was extended to a lifetime ban. But Borutsky didn't care, because he had a secret gun stashed away for the day he would need it. And while the court had ordered him to attend weekly counseling sessions for domestic violence, Borutsky never showed up. By the beginning of 2015, Basil Borutsky was back living in Renfrew County, not far from any of his victims. Getting by on a disability pension he received after a 1994 car accident, Borutsky eased his back pain with rye whiskey and Percocet. By that summer, he attempted to rekindle his relationship with Carol Culleton and offered to do odd jobs around her cottage that she was fixing up to sell. At first, Carol didn't mind, but then Basil began showing up unannounced and even showed up at her home in Ottawa two hours away. Friends warned her he was stalking her, and Carol finally told Basil she was seeing another man and asked him to leave her alone. But Basil wasn't the kind of man that could take rejection easily. For days, Carol was bombarded with phone calls and text messages calling her a cruel, vindictive, self-centered human being. Karma will take over, he said in his last text. Carol was hopeful Basil would eventually move on. Having just retired, she was optimistic about her future and was anxious to sell the cottage so she had more time to travel. On September 22, 2015, she had arranged to meet a real estate agent at the lakeside property. But tragically, that meeting would never take place. It was just after 9 a.m. on that beautiful autumn morning when reports of a shooter on the loose in Renfrew County were broadcast across emergency airways. Police from neighboring townships descended on Wilno, where Anastasia Kuzak had been murdered. Then, word came that two more women, Natalie Warmerdam and Carol Culleton, had also been killed. The surrounding areas were locked down and people were told to stay in their homes with the doors locked. By 11.30 Tuesday morning, the Ontario Provincial Police and the Ottawa Police were searching for 57-year-old Basil Borutsky. 
They knew that he had stolen Carol Culleton's car after killing her. Fearing he might be heading into Ottawa's city center, several buildings were locked down, including the courthouse and some law offices. By 2 p.m., the police had tracked Barutsky's cell phone to a wooded area outside of suburban Ottawa. Barutsky was texting his brother, Arthur, while police helicopters circled overhead. The guilty have paid, he texts, before walking out of the woods with his hands up. After arresting Barutsky, the police found a rusted old shotgun lying in the long grass next to a sandwich bag of shells and a note impaled on a branch that read, I have no gun. Please don't murder me. I give up. The dramatic search for an armed killer was over. The police had captured the man they were sure was responsible for three cold-blooded murders that same morning. But now, three families and an entire community were left reeling. How could this have happened? How could this have happened? The exact words Basil Barutsky said to a police interrogator only hours after he had killed three women. But, according to Barutsky, the killings were justified because he was the victim. He had been wronged by his ex-wife, the police, members of his own family, and his old girlfriends. It was their fault. In a five-hour videotaped interrogation, Barutsky admitted to killing Carol, Anastasia, and Natalie because they had betrayed him. Why do you allow people like me to be in jail, rot in jail, and then you get out and you're stigmatized and you live your life? You have no idea what it's like when to know that you've done nothing wrong. He then described the killing of Carol Culleton. I said, why do you hate me? After strangling Carol, he stole her car and drove to Anastasia Kuzik's house with a shotgun he had been hiding for years. And I asked Anastasia, I just said, why did you lie in court? And she said, I didn't. And the gun went off. Because it just lies. Why couldn't she just have said, I'm sorry. His next destination was Natalie Warmerdam's house. I just drove in, walked in the door. She was sitting there. She went in the car, I followed her. So, walked her. That's it. Barutsky later told police he believed, quote, God was making it easy for me as he killed his first two victims. He recalled seeing himself from outside his body, like a zombie, walking into Natalie Warmerdam's farmhouse and killing her with a shotgun, then walking to the car and calmly driving away, asking God, where do I go next? I'm a caring, loving human being 
he wrote in a letter to his probation officer three days after the killings. I hate violence, he added, before concluding, I have been judged wrongly. Now you will be judged by me. Basil Borutsky's trial began on October 2nd, 2017. Over the strong objections of the Crown Attorney's Office and the victim's families, the trial had been moved to Ottawa to ensure Barutsky received a fair trial. For many people in Renfrew County, the trial would reignite painful memories of a day like no other. But the friends, neighbors, and families of Carol, Anastasia, and Natalie were determined to face their killer and ensure that the women got the justice they deserved. In his opening statement, Crown Attorney Jeffrey Richardson told the jury that on the morning of September 22, 2015, Basil Barutsky tucked a Bible into his pocket and set out to murder three women. He was out for revenge. For Basil, these murders were about justice, his kind of justice, where he got to be judge, jury, and executioner, said the Crown Attorney. He then took the jury through the events of that September day two years earlier. According to the statement of facts, on that morning, Basil Borutsky left his apartment at 7.30 a.m. in his neighbor's borrowed car. He drove 20 kilometers to Carol Culleton's cottage. He then strangled Carol to death using a telephone cable. After Carol was dead, Barutsky smoked a cigarette, leaving the butt in the kitchen sink with his DNA. He emptied her purse, grabbed her car keys and cell phone, and drove away in her Mazda, leaving his neighbor's car behind with $100 in cash for gas. Barutsky then drove 33 kilometers to his former girlfriend's home, 36-year-old real estate agent Anastasia Kuzik in Wilno, Ontario. Barutsky found Anastasia hiding in the kitchen and shot her once in the neck. From there, Barutsky drove 32 kilometers through winding back roads to the farmhouse near Eganville, Ontario he once shared with his final victim. 48-year-old palliative care nurse Natalie Warmerdam and her two children. Barutsky calmly walked in the door and chased Natalie before shooting her. Adrian Warmerdam, Natalie's 22-year-old son, testified that he had been watching TV in the living room while his mom was in the kitchen having breakfast. He heard his mom scream and thought she had seen a spider. But suddenly, she ran past him and he saw that she was being chased through the house with a man holding a shotgun. Adrian rushed out the back door and ran into a nearby field. He then heard a single shot ring out from the house. He called 911 and stayed hidden until the police arrived. After killing Natalie Warmerdam, Barutsky drove 80 kilometers east towards White Lake, where he later told police 
he planned to kill a man who owned a local sawmill. I was going to kill the fat man, said Borutsky during his taped police interrogation. He was next on the list, he added. When he couldn't locate the man, he continued toward Ottawa before eventually pulling over, texting his brother, and admitting to what he had done. Borutsky also admitted to wanting to kill two OPP officers because, according to him, they were crooked cops who had done him wrong. After he was captured, police found notes in his car to his daughters saying goodbye. Borutsky said he planned to take his own life, but decided against it because he believed it was wrong to take an innocent life. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the first witnesses called by the Crown was Borutsky's former wife. Mary Ann Mask testified that her 26-year relationship with Basil was a living hell that destroyed her self-worth. For years, she lived through a relentless barrage of threats and abuse. On three separate occasions, Basil was charged with domestic assault against Mary Ann. And each time, he walked out of the courtroom a free man. According to Mary Ann, Basil went to extraordinary lengths to manipulate the court system. During their divorce proceedings in 2011, Basil claimed that his wife had lied about the domestic assaults and that her injuries were self-inflicted. On the day of the murders in 2015, 
Marianne was contacted by the Ontario Provincial Police as soon as they were aware they were searching for her ex-husband. Marianne told the court she was terrified he was coming to kill her. She hid in a park until the police advised her it was safe to return home. Throughout the seven-week trial, 45 Crown witnesses were called. Basil Barutsky, acting in his own defense, did not cross-examine any of the witnesses and never uttered a word. On Friday, November 24, 2017, 60-year-old Basil Barutsky was convicted of two counts of first-degree murder for the shooting deaths of Anastasia Kuzik and Natalie Warmerdam, and one count of second-degree murder for strangling Carol Culleton. As he had done for the entirety of his trial, Barutsky remained emotionless as the verdicts were read. Two weeks later, on December 6, at the sentencing hearing, Ontario Superior Court Justice Robert Marringer said, The vicious, cold-blooded murder of three innocent, beloved women was one of the saddest, darkest days in Renfrew County history. He then said that Barutsky was a violent, vindictive, calculating abuser of women who seemed incapable of taking responsibility for his many wrongs and took his hatred to its ultimate climax. Crown Attorney Richardson requested consecutive periods of parole ineligibility to ensure Barutsky was never released from prison again. Even as he becomes an old man, society needs to be separated from Basil Barutsky, Richardson told the court. He holds a grudge, and anyone that wrongs him is a potential victim of violence at his hands, added the lawyer. He is a threat that will never diminish until he dies. Barutsky then learned he would have to wait in prison for nearly 70 years before applying for parole. Not good news for the six-year-old, but a relief for the many people who had known and loved his victims. Just outside, the courthouse flags flew at half-mast in honor of the National Day of Remembrance and Action on Violence Against Women, a day designated by the Canadian government to remember the 14 young women murdered at Polytech Montreal on December 6, 1989. The nightmare that was Basil Barutsky was finally over. Still, for people living in Renfrew County, his trail of terror and murder continued to raise troubling questions about the judicial system's handling of his case. Barutsky had a long-standing and well-known reputation as an ill-tempered, violent man. His victims lived in fear of him, yet nothing was done to prevent the actual risk he posed to them. In a joint statement 
a coalition of women's groups in the area, said Borutsky's case showed how numerous systemic failures continued to fail women in Renfrew County and throughout the province. Among the questions they raised were, why was Borutsky released from custody after serving a jail term for assaulting Anastasia Kuzik, even though he refused to sign a no-contact order? And why wasn't Borutsky's parole revoked when he failed to attend a court-ordered partner assault education program? How was Borutsky able to obtain a gun and ammunition when he had a long history of threatening and harassing women? At his trial, evidence showed that Borutsky had obtained a firearms permit three years before the murders. After his convictions for domestic violence against Natalie Warmerdam in 2012 and against Anastasia Kuzek in 2014, his license was revoked. He was issued a lifetime weapons ban, but his actual license card was still in his wallet at the time of the murders and did not expire until October of 2017 when Borutsky was already on trial for three murders. Borutsky had so many red flags, said the executive director of the Renfrew Sexual Assault Center. Yet, he was allowed back into the community as a free man where his victims lived. The deaths of these three women were preventable, said the coalition, and they were calling on all three levels of government to do the necessary work to eradicate violence towards women. A coroner's inquest into the murders of Natalie Warmerdam, Anastasia Kuzik, and Carol Culleton began on June 6, 2022, in Pembroke, Ontario. It had been seven years since the three women had been killed by a revenge-seeking madman who had slipped through the judicial cracks numerous times before his final act of violence. The inquest would be tasked with providing recommendations to prevent future deaths and protect victims of intimate partner violence in rural communities. Over the next few weeks, the inquest jury heard that Basil Borutsky was a ticking time bomb. He had been involved in the family and criminal justice system for 40 years, with repeated documented concerns about domestic violence and threats against others. His three victims had advised numerous friends, relatives, and the police that they feared him. Natalie Warmerdam had tried repeatedly to get information about where Borutsky was living after he got out of prison in December of 2014. But calls to the police and probation officers went unanswered. The five-member jury also heard how Basil Borutsky ignored court orders and refused to participate in counseling programs. A therapist who had worked with Borutsky in prison even warned Borutsky's parole officer that Basil still posed a significant risk to his victims and therefore 
should have his parole conditions strictly enforced. But the probation officer ignored the warnings. Barutsky was also under a lifetime firearms ban, but still carried a firearms permit because the courts had not ordered it seized. In addition to hearing from witnesses directly involved with Basil Barutsky's victims, the jury heard from frontline social workers who described a lack of services in rural communities and how shelters have to often turn women and children away because of a lack of space and resources. After three weeks of hearings, the coroner's inquest into the Renfrew County murders released its recommendations. Among the 86 recommendations the coroner's jury made, the first recommendation was a call to action by all levels of government to formally declare intimate partner violence, IPV, as a nationwide epidemic. The second recommendation urged for the creation of an independent intimate partner violence commission to work towards eradicating such violence and to raise public awareness. Additional recommendations included adding femicide, defined as the killing of a woman or girl by a man based on her gender, to the criminal code, and the creation of an emergency fund honoring the women Basil Barutsky murdered. This fund would support other women seeking safety from intimate partner violence. In response, the Ontario provincial government stated that the proposals would require, quote, further analysis. On the same day the coroner's inquest delivered its recommendations, a woman and her two teenage daughters were attacked in Ottawa while out walking their dog. Anne-Marie Reddy and her 15-year-old daughter Jasmine were stabbed to death by a man who had previously been charged with assaulting them. The perpetrator was released from prison three days before he killed the two women. In July 2023, Canada's largest metropolis declared gender-based violence an epidemic in the city. The declaration was part of a motion by Toronto's newly elected mayor, Olivia Chow. Toronto joined 30 other municipalities across Ontario that have already declared intimate partner violence an epidemic in their jurisdictions, including Ottawa, Peel Region, Halton Region, and Renfrew County. One month later, in August of 2023, in response to the coroner's inquest into the 2015 deaths of Carol Culleton, Anastasia Kuzak, and Natalie Warmerdam, Canada's Federal Justice Minister, Arif Varani, finally declared that gender-based violence is an epidemic in our country. In a letter to the Ontario Coroner's Office, Varani said that his government is committed to ending the gender-based violence epidemic in all its forms. 
He stated that the federal government is working to address any gaps in the criminal code to ensure a stronger justice system response to domestic abuse. This includes criminalizing a pattern of behavior known as coercive control, defined as a set of behaviors ranging from harassment and intimidation to isolating someone from family and social support to keep them under the abuser's control. In a park in Petawawa, Ontario, there is a large steel and granite sculpture overlooking the rapids of the Petawawa River. It is a monument of remembrance. Look closely and you will see engraved into the stone 23 names. These are the names of the women killed by their intimate partners in Renfrew County, including Anastasia Kuzik, Natalie Warmerdam, and Carol Culleton. According to National Homicide Statistics, in Canada, a woman is killed every six days due to intimate partner violence. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.